There will be no loyalty except loyalty towards the party. There will be no love except the love of Big Brother. There will be no laughter except the laugh of triumph over a defeated enemy. There will be no art, no literature, no science. When we are omnipotent, we shall have no more need of science. There will be no distinction between beauty and ugliness. There will be no curiosity, no enjoyment of the process of life. All competing pleasures will be destroyed. But always, do not forget this, Winston, always there will be the intoxication of power, constantly increasing and constantly growing subtler. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. If you want the picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. This is an excerpt from George Orwell's famous work, 1984. Many see the beginnings of Orwell's dystopia in our culture today. Is this warranted? Is this an overreaction? Or is the truth somewhere in between? Join us on Sunday, March 27th for our next round of AC Literary Expedition, where we will discuss a work that is sure to make you think. For more information and to register, please visit us at apoliticscanada.com forward slash A-C-L-E. Now back to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the AC Podcast. This is Steve. I'm here with Wes Huff. It's the uh, dynamic duo, Steve. Wes and Steve. (laughs) You said you wanted to start off today with a riddle. I am rather shaking inside. Shaking inside. I want you to draw on your, uh, your wisdom... Uh, Asian heritage. And um, here's one for you, okay? So what starts with an E, ends with an E, but only has one letter in it? What starts with an E, ends with an E, but has only one letter in it? Yeah, there are a couple answers you could give. I'm looking for a particular one, but what starts with an E, ends with an E, and only has one letter in it? E? (laughs) That's the first thing that comes to my mind. It's a word. It's a word. It's not a... It's a word. Hmm. Starts with an E, ends with an E, but has only one letter in it. I can't think of anything. What is it? Envelope. Oh, that letter. All right. All right. I see. So you could have also said I. I. I starts with an E, ends with an E, and only has one letter in it. But I was looking for envelope because it's trying to be clever. Aha, aha. You know what? This is actually a great... I I can see why you brought this up, because today we're going to be talking about the whole interview with Dua Lipa and Stephen Colbert, and what Tim Keller has said about it, and the reactions that his tweet drew, all of those things. So, let's get into it. So, if you are not really into watching TV and you have no idea who Stephen Colbert is... Uh, he is a late show host. He has a uh, a show named Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and he invited Dua Lipa, the singer, as a guest on his show. And there is a part where he actually gives her the chance to play the host because she's starting a new podcast where she's going to interview lots of people, and so they try this thing where Stephen Colbert actually hands it over to. Dua Lipa, and Dua Lipa actually asks Stephen Colbert a question, 
Let me just play this for you. This is their interaction. So I think something that your uh, viewers really connect with in your comedy and your hosting skills, yeah. especially in the like past few years, is how open and honest and authentic you are about the role your faith plays in your life. And I was wondering, is there any, you know, does your faith and your comedy ever overlap? And does one ever win out? I think ultimately, us all being mortal, the faith will win out at the end. <laughs> but I certainly hope when I get to heaven, Jesus has a sense of humor. But I will say this, I will say this. Uh, someone was asking me earlier about what I, and this, is, this relates to faith, because my faith is involved with, I'm, I'm a Christian and a Catholic, and that's always connected to the idea of um, love and sacrifice being somehow related and giving yourself to other people and that death is not defeat. If you can see where I'm getting at there. Someone was asking me earlier, what movie did I really enjoy this year? And I said, well, I really like Belfast, which is Kenneth Branagh's story of his childhood. And one of the reasons I love it is that I'm Irish and uh, Irish American and it's such an Irish movie um, and I think this is also a Catholic thing because it's, it's funny and it's sad and it's funny about being sad. In the same way, that sadness is like a little bit of an emotional death, but not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it because that laughter keeps you from having fear of it. And fear is the thing that keeps you from turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. As Robert Hayden said, we must not be frightened or cajoled into accepting evil as our deliverance from evil. We must keep struggling to maintain our humanity, though monsters of abstraction threaten and police us. So if there's some relationship between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. You must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other. So that's the interaction there. And of course, that received a lot of attention online. And then uh, Tim Keller, a very well-known pastor and theologian and author, uh, made a tweet basically praising him for his way of handling Dua Lipa's question. This is what he said. He said in his tweet, This is a brilliant example of how to be a Christian in the public square. Notice the witness, but in a form the culture can handle. We should desire to have more Christians in these spaces and give them grace as they operate. Now, this tweet in turn received lots of reaction, especially in the Christian circles. Some people were very much in agreement with Keller, while others were very much critical of both Keller's comment and Stephen Colbert's interaction with Dua. Wes, let me hand it over to you at this point. What was your reaction as you were watching this and seeing all of this kind of unfold with Keller's comment? Yeah, I mean, basically two things. Um, first, if I'm honest, I don't think I was as impressed by Colbert's answer as I was by the thoughtfulness of the question. And I don't think he necessarily said anything wrong. I think there's a lot to commend him for. But if you'd asked me, you know, if Colbert was asked this question, 
while I might not have been able to get the specifics, I think the general gist or the tone or the way that he said it to get the response from his audience and his guest, I probably could have guessed would be something of that overall nature. You know, for that reason, I think I was a little bit surprised that it got the attention it got. Surely it was very well articulated. I mean, Colbert's clearly a smart guy, right? He pulls the quote from memory. But in terms of its true gospel thrust, I'm not sure I was wowed in any way. And I think I can understand some of the responses in the the comments on Tim Keller's Twitter. I mean, Twitter, social media is like, it's either black or it's white, right? I was saying to you before the podcast, um, when we were sort of chatting, you know, you're either Hitler or you're Jesus. And it seems like there's no in between the one or the other. And I think there's probably a lot more gray and grace that's given for a lot of topics. But I think a lot of the pushback that I see is related to two things. And uh, I'd love to hear what you also kind of saw when you perused the Twitter comments, Steve. But a lot of the pushback I saw, which I think I can understand, is the phrase, in a way that the culture can handle. You know, if it's the gospel, why would you want the culture to handle it? We might want to understand it. But what does it mean exactly to handle it? Because surely there's an offense to the gospel, and a lot of the other response was like, he didn't say this or he didn't say that. You know, if it's a if it's a gospel response, he I'm looking for these particular phrases. And a lot of them that I saw was like, you're basically looking for Stephen Colbert to articulate penal substitutionary atonement, which I don't think he's going to do. <laughs> I think that it would be a little pre- presumptive and maybe a little bit weird for him to do that. Uh, and I get that, but I'm not sure it totally gets at the nuance of evangelism or apologetics that uh, maybe Tim Keller is in his tweet trying to go about articulating as to what he thinks Gobert said. That's interesting. I, I think you're right. There is some ambiguity there in the phrase, the culture can handle. What, what does it mean for the culture to handle something? And that was the point that you were trying to draw out as you started off the podcast with that riddle, because the word letter was ambiguous, right? It could mean multiple things. And in this case, that's the whole thrust of the joke. Because I was thinking the letter as in, you know, the alphabet letter, and in the joke, the one who tells it, in this case you, you had a different kind of letter in mind. By the way, very well done, Wes. Uh, (laughs) I think when I saw that, um, I just, and especially as Tim Keller started kind of explaining what, as he was responding to the critics, it became clear that what he meant by that, at least clear to me, is that what he meant by the culture handling it is the culture being able to actually understand what it is you're talking about. Because he talks a lot about contextualization, where you, if you have some kind of a message or some kind of a thought, belief that you want to communicate, you you want to communicate it in a way that the person can understand, right? And so, for example, me as an immigrant coming from South Korea to Canada, there is a lot of context that I had to learn, and whatever it was that I wanted to say, I had to contextualize it, especially if it there was if there was any conversation that had any kind of intercultural element to it. You know, certain things that we do in South Korea would be seen as weird in Canada and vice versa. And so contextualization takes place. And I see that taking place in, say, Acts chapter 17, the Mars Hill sermon that Paul preached. 
and, and those kinds of things. So in that sense, I think that's what Keller was trying to say. But I think you're right. You were saying earlier, yeah, Twitter just isn't a good platform for a nuanced dialogue because you can only say so much. And it was interesting because in his response to the critics, you know how people do this on Twitter, right? They start giving their threads like numbers, right? Here's reply one and then reply two, and that's the continuation from number one and so forth. And sometimes I see like a dozen or more of those things. I'm just like, that should tell you that Twitter is not the best platform for this. Yeah, totally. Actually, I wrote down a section of Colbert's quote because there were a couple things that I thought, ah, maybe we can flesh this out a little bit. He says, sadness is a little bit like an emotional death, but not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it. Because that laughter keeps you from having fear of it, and fear is the thing that prevents you from turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. So if there's a relation between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you'll never be defeated. You must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find a way to love and laugh with each other. I think that's interesting because when you can find a way to laugh that allows you to not fall into defeat, even in the face of suffering and sadness, and laughter is something that drives out fear, when you fear when when fear can lead you down a bad path and i think cobert i mean i just uh, i've uh, read a few things that ha- have kind of touched on the fact that he's in his past you know suffered from clinical depression and, and some other things so he's drawing on that but here's where i can understand the pushback is that an ex- explicit gospel presentation In other words, could I close my eyes and picture the Dalai Lama or a Hindu priest or a Muslim imam saying it and not bat an eye? I think so. And there's obvious truth to it. I don't disagree with it. It could be something, you know, that you read in C.S. Lewis for all intents and purposes. But obviously, in terms of Keller saying that this is an explicit Christian witness, I think my answer would be maybe. Because in a very clear way, I don't think this is an explicit gospel presentation, but in another way, I don't think it needs to be. And it might have been a little bit odd coming from someone like Colbert if it was. I mean, it would have been great if he'd then reached into his desk and pulled out Andy Steiger's thinking answers to life's five (laughs) biggest questions, you know, opened it up and started reading uh, why Dua Lipa should believe. But He didn't do that, and as much as a great plug that would have been for Andy, I think it also wouldn't have totally made sense in the context that he was in, because the question wasn't necessarily about what he believed and why he believed it specifically. The question was about his comedy and his faith. So if all of a sudden he jumped into chapter and verse and called Dua Lipa to repent for the kingdom of God was at hand, it might not have actually made sense. Yeah. That's such a good point, because I am reminded of that time when my wife and I went to Earl's for a snack or something like that. Well, when we went there, this uh, server that came to us, you know, she took our order and as she turned around, I saw like on the back of her neck, you know, this piece of this flower. And, and to me, it was unmistakable. It was a lotus flower. 
So that sparked a conversation when she came back. I said, so I noticed this uh, tattoo on the back of your neck. I, I see that it's the tip of a lotus flower. And she said, yes. So are you a Buddhist? Or what does that mean to you? Right? And she, she opened up about how she had a really troubled childhood and this Christian family took her in and and all those things. And then she said this. She said, yeah, she they took me to church and the pastor said something. I like, Mostly it was good, but uh, some things I disagreed with. And so that raised the question for me, like, what did you disagree with? And she said, oh, yeah, her, his views on, you know, premarital sex and, and some other things, right? Now, at this point in my mind, there are a thousand things that I wanted to say to her about premarital sex and, and the importance of, you know, sexual fidelity and all of those things. But with that have been helpful at that point? Again, I'm thinking of the context here, right? I don't really have any relationship with her at this point, other than the fact that, you know, she's serving us at the restaurant. I, I didn't get to like any explicit gospel presentation, right? I only talked about general things. But as I walked away, I thought to myself, at least I didn't burn the bridge. Hopefully the conversation will continue with somebody else that, that God sends to her. Um, who knows, right? And so, as I was watching this exchange between Dua and Steve Colbert, that that was very much what came to mind for me. Yeah, I, I I think that's a that's a good point, and I think clearly a lot of people in the comments wanted it to be an explicit uh, rather than implicit kind of answer that that. Colbert gave at least the, the people in the comments of of uh, Tim Keller's tweet. You never know. I mean, there people who are unbelievers might look at that and they might hear something far more profound and, and get something out of that. Um, maybe even just to push back on my own perspective. You know, we all know as Christians, there's a question when we're asked about our faith that there's a line and that line is going to probably get awkward to cross. And so we need to know where that line is and when it comes and how we should cross it. And in many, if not most instances, we're called to cross that line and explain what the gospel is and articulate things with unbelievers that they don't believe. And so the question needs to be then, when is it appropriate to cross that line and say something that might provoke more reaction than we're willing to deal with. And when I I listened to what Colbert said, I couldn't help but think Colbert is using a lot of abstract nouns, right? He's a professed Catholic Christian. So the when, where, and how of what he's talking about, when is he going to get around and ground those abstract nouns in the person of Christ? Because arguably that's what I thought he needed to do because he's he's doing uh, the work of an apologist right he's giving a reason for the hope that he has that's the whole thrust behind you know the the first peter 3 15 verse but in your hearts revere christ as lord always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do so with gentleness and respect right and dua lipa is asking him an apologetic question in a way in the way her question is exactly what First Peter 3 is talking about because she sees a hope in him, particularly like in his comedy, that warrants a response. And so I thought, you know, Colbert, what he's, his answer was a bit of a, a, a personal testimony. When he says uh, death is not defeat, he's not saying it because 
He likes the poetic sound of the abstract nouns. He's saying it because he knows this is, at some level, a form of his own experience that is true. And so I kept wondering, he's puttering around the harbor, and he's right there, right? He can see the docks. When is he going to bring the boat to dock at the Hope of Christ? And the whole concept of uh, hope over overcoming evil and the problem of suffering, finding a solution has a point in time where they met their culmination. And I was really hoping that Colbert told us the when and the why and the how, and maybe he didn't need to necessarily do that, given the context, as I said before. But I I wonder, as a person of faith who confesses Christ, whether Colbert needs to at some point. Now, can he spend the rest of his life in the tugboat of the abstract nouns? I don't know if that's a good right. analogy or not, but um, <laughs> that's that's kind of where my head was wondering as I watched that a few times. Yeah, much like you, as I was watching this, there was that sense of, okay, he's very close. It, it almost felt like if you've ever read or read about Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle, or should I say Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle in that order— they talked about, a lot of what they talked about came really close to Christianity, Plato's idea of the true good and the beautiful, right? I mean, he pictured them as these abstract objects that are kind of floating in the air, so to speak, in the world of forms, or the world of ideas kind of a thing. And as Christians, we go, for us, we're like, yeah, that's grounded in God. And so, when I look at Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle— and everything that they've wrestled with, grounding it in the person of God and in the person of Jesus, would have been the fulfillment of all of their longings in that regard, right? But they came close, but not quite there. And when I was watching uh, Stephen Colbert's response, I was very much, okay, he's he's close, but he's not quite... Because, I mean, if you think about it, when he talks about fear and, and how, you know, you can defeat fear with with laughter and those kinds of things. Of course, I, I would suspect anyway that Colbert is thinking, well, yeah, that is grounded in the reality of the resurrection of our Lord. Whether he would put it in those exact terms, I don't know, but because a lot of people actually pointed that out in the comments directed towards Keller, why do we laugh? Right? That's the really big question. But then this is where I think, okay, when we come to the gospel truth, in Christianity, we talk about special revelation and general revelation, right? So, what is the value of general revelation in this kind of a context? In contextualizing things for people who are not quite part of the Christian family, let's say. I think sometimes general revelation is more effective in preparing the soil, so to speak. So, for those listeners who may not be familiar with this distinction between a special revelation and a general revelation, in Christian theology, we make this distinction, uh, namely that general revelation is things that God reveals to people in general, that gives them general truths about who God is. So, that comes through the created order and moral conscience um, as Paul talks about it in uh, Romans 1 and 2. And so, this is revelation that's available to everyone. But then there's this special revelation that comes through Scripture, 
perhaps private revelation and ultimately in the person of Jesus, where now this is where you get very specific truths about who God is. Let's say typically people will say, let's say the doctrine of the Trinity, that comes from special revelation. So, in my mind, when I think about interacting with people who are not part of the Christian family, I start with general revelation. I want to start with general revelation because that's something that they can uh, resonate with. And then once the ground is prepared, so to speak, then I can move into special revelation. Of course, every situation is different. I don't know what this person has been going through. I don't know what the Holy Spirit has been doing here. So, there might be times when I have to just go right, start right with special revelation. But in general, (laughs) no pun intended, in, in general, I would start with general revelation. Right. And we see that in, in places um, like Romans one twenty, which says, For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that people are without excuse. You know, there's this idea that the the cosmos itself kind of screams to humanity that there's there's something there right god's divine attributes obviously not the specific attributes like you said steve of the doctrine of the trinity you can't look at a sunset see the beauty and the complexity in that and go ah i wonder if god is uh, complex in his unity one being in three persons right you're you're not going to get there it's, it's it's a little bit too specific but i think what um the paul is getting at in, in that romans 1 verse is that you know we know at a certain degree we know that the complexity of this world we might devi- we might um uh, deny it but it, it's there and actually that that last phrase, so that they are without excuse, uh, that's the the word unapologetus, without an apologetic. Uh, so in that sense, you know, he's saying when you stand before God, it's going to be really hard to say, hey, I just didn't know, <laughs> because the, the the cosmos is is screaming at us that, that God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen throughout the creation of the world. Um, when you were talking about, uh, I thought that was a really good point, Steve, about you know the the Greek philosophers, Plato, uh, Aristotle, Socrates, those guys. Once again, I did not put them in the right order. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, it, it reminded me, you know, there's a, been a lot of, in particular circles, bringing up Jordan Peterson again because uh, he was recently on the Joe Rogan podcast and he was talking about things like the Bible and he was talking about God and he said a lot of really great things and he said a lot of things that, to be honest, I just was not sure what he was talking about. But um, I I think he's another example of someone who's like, there's so much there that I think is good and he's like walking up to that line of what is true and what you and I as Christians, Steve, would confess. But he's like, he walks right up to the resurrection and then he's like, uh, I don't know about that. And and then he just goes on a bit of a tirade about analogies um, and sort of maps of meaning things. And, and I think we can look at a lot of what guys like, you know, Plato, Aristotle, Jordan Peterson, maybe, um, or Stephen Colbert and say, you know, there's a lot of, of good in this. Is it the gospel specifically? No. Uh, can we use it as a sp- spring point? Yeah, I think I think probably. And the truth in there, because all truth is God's truth, can maybe work as a as a uh, uh, an open point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 
we can leave that aside for now. Um, there is something else that I've been wondering about. And one of the concerns that I saw over and over again in the various responses that were kind of exchanged is this idea that, you know, can we really endorse Stephen Colbert as an example of a public Christian? And this was coming from more from sort of the socially very conservative Christians who understand that, you know, Steve Colbert is very much pro-gay, pro-abortion, and, and those kinds of things. And so, naturally, there were some concerns about, like, can we prop him up as a public Christian figure, especially when, when that is done by somebody who's as influential as Tim Keller? Obviously, there are some concerns there, um, because in their mind, I would suspect that, you know, some might even question whether Colbert is a Christian at all, because after all, he is kind of deliberately going against the the teaching of the church that he professes to belong to uh, in many ways. And so, yeah, can we can we prop him up as a public Christian figure? What do you think? Yeah, I I, I understand the reservation. Um, especially with the fact that he's probably far more liberal than you or I would be comfortable with. And he does have that kind of um, uh, social, liberal, progressive bent to him. I, I think these types of issues we maybe can take on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, like maybe we could take Colbert here and that might not be a total and complete acceptance of everything. In the same way, I mean, that we could do with someone like Martin Luther King Jr., who was not a, a perfect person, you know, has, was, uh, there's a, a lot of complexities with sort of his moral stances in his extramarital affairs and, and things like that. Uh, or even, you know, theologically, I think of someone like C.S. Lewis, who had a very unusual perspective on the doctrine of inspiration. It's not, I think, entirely clear whether he was a universalist or not. Uh, and so do we wholesale accept everybody because they don't agree on every point that we believe in? Um, I think there's some wiggle room there. I think we can take what Colbert is saying here and maybe use that as a, a point of reference without necessarily saying that I then accept everything that Colbert says. Uh, and even if I think about, you know, the books on my bookshelf, arguably there's only one book there that I agree with absolutely everything in it. <laughs> the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, even some of my, my, my favorite books um, from my favorite authors, uh, I don't agree with absolutely everything in there. You know, I'm, I've read Calvin's Institutes a number of times. Um, I think Calvin was brilliant. Uh, I love the, the explications of the theological truths that he articulates there. But there are a lot of things about Calvin's life that, you know, I'm a Baptist. He would have drowned me. So, obviously, <laughs> you know, there's, a, uh, there's an aspect of if I was in Geneva in his lifetime, we would not have gotten along. Um, he would have driven me out of the city. Uh, but does that mean I have to whole-scale accept everything he says or whole scale throw everything out that he says i don't i don't know 
What do you think? Because I'm I'm totally okay with being you know wrong or lacked uh, lacking of nuance here. Yeah, you know I I think I like you said I also can understand the reservation right because people who know me know that I'm a pretty strong pro lifer so obviously I would disagree strongly with Colbert's stance on it but I've also always been the kind of person who always wanted to sort of like I'm very hesitant to just reduce somebody to this particular view or that particular view that the person holds so there are two challenges to that one is in my attempt to try to you know see people as holistically as I can I have to sit with this uncomfortable very uncomfortable tension about yeah I know what Stephen Colbert believes on these other issues. But at the same time, I think we can look at what somebody is doing and and appreciate something good that the person is doing. And, and in our social media age, it's very difficult to do that because people tend to reduce one another to that particular view that the person holds. <clears throat> and so, and then when you say, oh, I appreciate such and such about this person who is very unpopular, then, you know, there's a, an internet mob ready to come and ruin your life, right? So, for example, let's take the example of Joe Biden and Donald Trump, right? Sorry, whichever, you might need to explain one, who those people are. I don't think I've ever heard of them. <laughs> yeah, if you've been living under a rock, right? Um, so, think about Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Right. Whoever you endorse, do you endorse 100% everything that the person does? If you do, especially as a Christian, I would have to start questioning, like, whichever one you endorse, 100%, I would have to start questioning whether your faith actually really fits with your views. And so I think this is a really important part about having a nuanced conversation online or offline that ability to dissect and take certain pieces out without disregarding the whole and say, okay, you know what? I appreciate what Stephen Colbert did here. He contextualized well, but I disagree with these other things that he believes. If we can do that, I think we'll have a much more nuanced conversation. So that's where I sit. Yeah, I think it, social media is a pretty rough place to eat the meat and spit out the bones in the content. Um, wh- one of the things actually that Jordan Peterson talks about is uh, when having a conversation, always presume that the person you're talking with knows something you don't and that you can learn from them. And I kind of like that. Uh, I like the idea that, you know, because I, I have a lot of conversations with people that have completely different worldviews than I do. Um, Arguably, that's part of my job description, right? Uh, But even just like thinking about family members and friends, and I think going in, acknowledging that there could be something that this person teaches you helps in just kind of grounding you humility-wise to not just always try to go in fighting with your own perspective at the forefront and um, assuming there's no middle ground or uh, no gray areas. And unfortunately, I think as we've both said a number of times throughout this podcast and maybe even the history of the Apologetics Canada podcast is that, you know, social media is a really bad place for nuance. 
And maybe even social media isn't the battleground for nuance because nuance can often get lost, um, especially on Twitter. There's uh, there's something to say for saying something that gets attention. I mean, that's why a lot of these tweets go viral is because they're saying something that they know well, whoever they is, I don't know, uh, you know, anyone from uh, Donald Trump to Tim Keller, uh, they're saying something to get a response. And sometimes just saying something very bluntly gets a response and can start a conversation in the Twitter thread that might warrant a fruitful conversation. You know, obviously that doesn't always happen. Um, the amount of fruitful conversations is probably buried by the amount of unfruitful conversations on Twitter. Uh, but um, yeah, I just, I, I think there's these kind of conversations, if for nothing else, they get people like you and I talking, Steve, about them, right? And so despite all of the kind of vitriol, uh, I saw this this uh, it was a meme on online the other day, and you know in uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Screwtape Letters, which is a, a story of a conversation between uh, two demons, one demon named Screwtape and and his uncle who's named Wormwood, and Wormwood is giving you know advice to Screwtape who's trying to lead this individual who's in charge of down a path, and the the meme just said, uh, "Dear Screwtape, invent Twitter." your uncle Wormwood. and i thought that was i thought that was pretty clever you know maybe that is what lewis would have written if he was living in the in the 2022 20, whatever year we're in but if nothing else it got us talking about it and i hope our conversation is fruitful <laughs> yeah yeah you know um in in all of this i'm always reminded of colossians 4 verses five and six, I actually used to um, say this with our kids as they were going down to sleep and things like that. We would always recite it together. And I mean, we we did that with various Bible verses, but this one was my, one of my favorites um, where Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There is some question as to what does it look like for your speech to be seasoned with salt? What does it mean to make the most of your time with outsiders, right? As Now, some Christians might say, if you have just five minutes, go straight to John 3.16. Other Christians will take a more kind of a general revelation kind of approach, if you will, or take a sort of maybe not even that, but maybe take a kind of a longer term view, longer-term approach, and preparing the ground as you go kind of thing, because they think that's making the best use of the time. And I think that's a kind of tension that's not easily going to be resolved. Different people will have different opinions about it. And I think if there is a tension that we need to live with, I think that's the tension we need to live with as Christians. But different people will have different approaches to making the most with your time with outsiders. Yeah, and it really depe depends on the, the situation. Um, you know, you have guys like Greg Kokel who say that his main goal is to put a stone in, in a person's shoe. Uh, I jokingly say sometimes that um, my job and purpose is as an evangelist, and so if you think I'm trying to convert you, it's because I probably am. And uh, I'm trying to get to the cross, 
at a certain point in, in the conversation. And there's something to say for the fact that if I force that, it's not going to work. It's not going to be natural. And so sometimes, yeah, you just need to kind of navigate the questions and allow people to kind of think through some of the things uh, that you're saying as well. But even that verse that, that you quoted from Colossians, uh, the the usage of season with salt I've always found interesting because salt has a number number of qualities to it, right? There's uh, it seasons, uh, salt preserves, uh, salt changes its environment. You know, here in Canada, we know this. You put salt on ice, what does it do? And well, it chemically melts the ice, right? But the other thing is that salt also irritates. If you've ever gotten uh, salt in a wound, uh, when I was working in um, Jordan, uh, when I was was 17 or 18 years old, I made the mistake of shaving my face before going into the Dead Sea. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what shaving does is it creates uh, micro holes in your face that are (laughs) openings for something like entering the saltiest place on earth to uh, affect your skin. And so that hurt, right? It, It irritated me a great deal. Nonetheless, if all you're doing is irritating people with your gospel message, you're probably being salty in the wrong way. So I think, you know, what Paul is talking about there being seasoned with salt requires multiple of the different aspects of salt that we can think of and um, maybe more leaning towards the preserve and season and uh, changing the environment more than the irritating. But, uh, you know, the gospel message is going to go against the flow of the culture and certain aspects of it are just going to irritate because it's it's foolishness to the Greeks, right? That's what Paul says. He uses the Greek word moronos, which is a great word because it's where we get the word moron from. <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of Greg Kokel, one of the things that I've always appreciated, I, I think he's maybe slightly exaggerating here, but the point is well taken when he says, when you're having a conversation with somebody, if you get angry, you lose. If that dialogue partner gets angry, you lose. And obviously there are some cases where no matter what you say, your dialogue partner, because of his or her own burdens and trauma and all those kinds of things, will get offended or angry at you. I don't think he's necessarily pointing to those cases, but I think in general, it's a good principle to keep in mind. It's been helpful for me, let's just put it that way. And I think that's partly what Paul is doing when he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So, he's putting those two together. And likewise, Peter, in 1 Peter 3.15, being ready to give an answer to those who ask you for the reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Right. So I think that's something to keep in mind. So bringing this back together then to this dialogue that Stephen Colbert had, this exchange he had with Dua Lipa, there, there's a lot that can be said about it. There is a lot of ambiguity surrounding it, especially given Tim Keller's comment on it. But yeah, let's see if we can eat the meat and spit out the bones. All right, well, that wraps it up. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on this week's edition of the AC Podcast. We do love hearing from you, uh, and we certainly got a lot of reaction from the last week's episode on the Freedom Convoy, both 
in support of and opposed to the convoy or some aspects thereof. And we appreciate you sharing your thoughts and taking the time to email us or send us a message through uh, social media channels. In some cases, we got uh, personal text messages from friends and family as well. So we appreciate all of those interactions. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. And uh, we'll come back next week with more stuff to think about. Love God. Love people. See you next week.